It's Friday, May 11th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 484 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 49 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Eric. And my name is Chad. Fear the Con 11. This con goes to 11 is still coming up. If you've not signed up for that, I will put a link to it in the show notes. The social mixer will be on June 21st, and then the convention itself will be on Friday, June 22nd, and Saturday, June 23rd. And that's going to be at the Drury Inn in Brentwood, Missouri. We'll put a link to Fear the Con 11's website and to the Con Planner site in the show notes. If you are coming, please be sure to sign up for your games, sign up for what you're running, sign up for what you're playing in. We look forward to seeing all of you guys there for another great Fear the Con. They've all been good thus far, and I have no reason to believe this one will be any different. All right, so we're going to go right into it then. Chad, you are running a D&D game. Yes. All right. So we, Fifth edition. You said you have a bunch of small topics. Right. And usually when we do a small topic roundup, they're pretty damn unrelated. Right. But on this one, you said you had a bunch of sort of ancillary topics that all surround this 5th edition D&D game. Yes. All right, now let me start by asking you an interesting question here, which is, are you actually using the rules? Yes, absolutely. So wizards actually have to pick their spells this time. Absolutely. Okay. And I'm also using the spell component rules, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's old school. Yeah. Well, so 5th edition... It's probably not as bad as prior editions. <laughs> Actually, they, it's this really cool system that they have, right? I'm not a D&D historian. I, I don't know if this was in other games or other editions, but in 5th edition, I was reading it because y- you never want to do the spell components because that means every single damn spell you cast, you need to spend 10 gold pieces or 10,000 gold pieces just to light up a room. And it's just this pain in the ass. You need multiple sheets to track your spells. You need multiple sheets to track your spell components. Yeah, and your inventory is a nightmare. Right. And, you know. So in this, they have uh, you know, the verbal component and the somatic component where you're waving your arms around like an idiot. And then they have the material component. And they have, it's like a spell pouch or a components bag. or something. It is a piece of equipment that they define in there. And it costs X amount. And it is assumed that if you have this pouch, it has everything you need material-wise to cast the spell. The only exception being is that if your spell component in the description has a price to it, then that means you have to buy that spell component. You don't have to buy, like, your bat guano and your this and your that and your whatever. It's considered to be in the pouch. But if the spell says you need a pearl worth 10 gold pieces, you have to lay out the 10 gold pieces and get the pearl. Now, if the spell does not say it destroys the pearl, well, you have a 10 gold piece pearl that you can use later or sell or do whatever you want with. If it says that it destroys the component, it will only say it destroys the components that have a price to them. That way you don't have to now open up the inventory of your spell bag and and actually track stuff. But it it basically means you have to spin some gold to do that. And it's usually like the powerful spells or whatever. Right. Well, that does kind of seem like a fair balancer in that, at least for the material component spells. Mm -hmm. The spell now does have some kind of a physical object that if the whole party is stripped of their possessions, right. for some reason, that would also be gone from the spellcaster. Yeah. And so anything now that is not purely verbal or somatic in nature 
would also be gone from their yeah. their ability list. Well, and it's neat too. I mean, I would not want to wrap an entire plot line around this. But, no, you know, yeah, they get thrown in the jail in in a dungeon somewhere. They and locked up, and the spellcaster's like, "Okay, guys, you don't have a sword or your armor, and you don't have your bow and your arrows." And nobody wants to hear the bard sing anyway. <laughs> I might be able to cast a spell if I can get some back guano and an owl feather. How are we going to do this? And then, right. you know, and then you can kind of work together to, to make that happen. Yeah, and it does seem like something that a lot of fantasy settings have had to deal with in one way or another is how do you restrain somebody who uses magic? Right. And there's been a lot of hand waving around. Like, for example, in The Witcher... It's dimeridium that mm. if they are in contact with it's unattainium. That yeah, they, they, this this metal that is never explained, but there's this rare metal called dimeridium, and if you are in contact with it, then magic is negated. And so, if you're a mage or a sorceress or whatever, and I put you in dimeridium handcuffs or I put a dimeridium necklace on you, whatever it is, you suddenly cannot mm. interact with magic anymore. And so there's a lot of hand waving around it anyway. So it's like, what do you do? You, you arrest a mage, throw him in jail. And then he's and, casting magic missile from out of his cell. Yeah, the guards, guards, or depending on what the spell is, especially if the game master is not enforcing spell components, he can blow up the castle right. from within. I mean, <laughs> or just cast knock. Yeah, well, yeah or just cast out. knock and done. So that is an interesting way of handling it, of, of not making you track a huge amount of inventory, right? But still tying it in some way to your inventory. While it's not in D and I'm sure there's been house rules for this. I'm sure there are mm-hmm. systems that do it. I think it would be interesting to see a system that has kind of a fate-ish sort of ebb and flow, mm-hmm. or something you can tap or untap that basically says when you go to cast a spell, you're putting strain on the components that you have, right? And you may start eventually running out of them or it's harder to cast a spell or the GM can slide a chip over to compel you to not have the components or something to that effect where it's not a fixed inventory, but it is something of a sliding economy of of probabilities. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a system that already does this, but this is just me (laughs) pontificating. (laughs) You just tell the audience, just make that. So (laughs) just do that for Dan. But no, yeah, I am running a 5th edition game. We have a new player in our group. She has only played two games. I don't mean two campaigns. Or She has played two unrelated one-shots with pre-generated characters ever. That's her entire experience. What were the one-shots of? I know that one of them was a vampire masquerade-type game set in World War II. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if the other one... I don't know what the other one was. Okay. So... so when it came up, it's like, okay, well, we're going to, we have this new player, which is also coinciding with us starting a new campaign. And, you know, it's like, well, what do you guys want to do? And my thought was, I want to start with the basics. I don't want to do like some weird ass system where you need an astrolabe and you have to do interpretive dance to figure out what the, your, you know, stats are and that sort of thing. Because uh, I, I want to teach her the nuts and bolts of basic role playing where you have stats, the stats are represented by numbers, you have skills of a sort, you have equipment, you have a weapon that does damage that you roll to hit, and then you roll to see how much damage it is, and you have an armor class, and you have monsters who have stats that are similar to yours, and how you interact with them mathematically. 
And then I also wanted to introduce her to the arc of gaming, of a story and having a character that is interlaced with the story and the story has an arc to it. And then there's like subplots and stuff. But to do that, I needed to do it in a language that she would understand. So like Shadowrun ain't that. Right. But, uh, you know, putting my feelings of the game aside, it would be a constant explaining to her what the concepts, the base concepts are. And so, you know, I thought D&D would make a great game. And I'm playing, you know, straight up fantasy. You know, I'm not taking Forgotten Realms or anything like that, although that would be fine. And we're not doing a weird thing. We're not doing Ravenloft. We're not doing Numenera. We're not doing anything weird or interesting, but just kind of different. It is a castle and a king and you have peasants and there is some threats and but it's a you know medieval sort of thing you know, that is something that i have chewed on for as long as we have been doing this show which is knowing nothing else about a person what is the best introductory role-playing game now right. you give me a specific person and i can learn their tastes and know how they think and whatnot i might come up with a different answer but it has always bugged me that the answer is D&D, that everybody yeah. starts with D&D. But the longer that I chew on this, the more I'm realizing this is just my curmudgeoniness <laughs> or my, I don't know, I'm not a contrarian person, but maybe it's just this one thing for some yeah. reason I don't want to be true because it's so generic Mm-hmm. It's so, I mean, hell, some people don't even refer to a hobby as role-playing or RPGs. Yeah. They just say you play D&D. Right. It, it, D&D right. is the Kleenex of role-playing games. It is the Jeep of role-playing <laughs> games. Right. That people use it interchangeably, mm-hmm. the proper noun as if it was a common noun. And I think that bothers me in principle. But the fact is that you just asked me what a random person knows mm-hmm. Well, they know fairy tales. Right. They know Tolkien-esque fantasy. Yeah. I don't have to a explain... A castle, a king... A princess, a, a dragon... Right. An elf, a dwarf. I don't have to explain these yeah. things. you're there. There might be slight minutiae I have to explain. I mean, there have been exceptions. Once again, specific people. Mm-hmm. When I brought Carl into role-playing, this was before the Lord of the Rings movies had come out, and so she knew basically nothing about fantasy, had always been a sci-fi geek, And she knew an enormous amount about Star Trek. Right. Star Trek was an easy first game because she already knew what a Klingon and a Romulan and a phaser and a disruptor and warp drive and all this stuff. She already knew all this. And this was already where her heart was. But once again, you ask me about somebody where I know nothing else. The best bet I've got is, yeah, D&D probably really is the best place to start them. And although I did have to tell her, so the game is called Dungeons and Dragons. But chances are you're not going to be in a dungeon and you're probably not going to see any dragons. So just roll with it. It's a good exercise for a new player because like the character sheet is the basic character sheet. You might play some off the wall crazy game, but you have to go really deep in the weeds of weird esoteric storytelling role playing games to not have any component that is from a Dungeons and Dragons like experience not to show up. I mean, you have stats, you have hit points, you have the, and there are games that 
You roll die, set an over under. Right. It sounds. You know, and there are games out there where you don't do any of that. But even still, I mean, there are more games that have the elements of D&D. And it would serve her better to understand and learn from that first before we go into D&D. Yeah, and I think 5th edition is a pretty good introductory edition because of the fact that it does streamline a lot of the things that were much crunchier Mm -hmm. or much more confusing in first, second, and third editions in particular. I mean, even your your background, your spin on your class. Right. These are things where you have finite lists to pick from. I mean, you can invent your own stuff. There's nothing stopping you, but you don't get that sense of being overwhelmed by not having some kind of guidance. It's like, yeah. all right, here's three or four options you can pick from for, okay, I'm a fighter. Well, what kind of fighter am I? You know, am I mm-hmm. a defender? Am I a berserker? Am I what? And here it is. Here's your choices to pick from. And they'll tell you, okay, we're going to tweak your skills and we're going to tweak mm-hmm. your equipment. And this is what that's going to do to your character sheet. You know, you don't have to figure out how to make that work. We're right. going to make it work for you, at least to an extent. I mean, sure. not perfectly sure. so, but. I mean, I can kind of wax poetic here about starting her on D&D and why sure. and stuff. And there are other options. Start, like you said, I think Star Trek would be a good example as well. Or even Star Wars might yeah. be a good example. I'm not sure about the system. I haven't played it. Any base starting thing would would have been good for us. So we did D&D. Yep. And that's what everyone at the table is comfortable with, too. We hadn't played anything like that in a while. So it was good for us to get into. This being a small topic roundup here. Mm-hmm. So my next topic, I guess, of what I was doing in this is I did not do a group template at all. What? Yeah, I know, right? I, actually, I rarely do a group template. <laughs> no, I, I think I, you did. Actually, I, you, I did. Go, as you're explaining this at the restaurant, yeah. I think there's an I, two ideas that have become conflated in the Skies of Glass game where it's not clear exactly which one's the group template. Because I've been doing something mm-hmm. else, which is a group questionnaire, Question, yeah. which is not the group template. Now, I have been doing the group template, yep. but the group template is not it's half so detailed. Yeah, the group template is basically, do we have a unifying concept mm-hmm. and do we have a common understanding that the characters are going to exist within certain boundaries and not be right. in conflict with each other and whatever? We're playing fantasy guys who are murder hobos. Except this guy who's playing a space marine from the future. Yeah, you know, and on top of that, we're all lawful good and he's chaotic evil. <laughs> right. So uh, I like to think of it as a formal group template versus an informal group template. Okay, fair you know, enough. Formal group template is where we say, okay, guys, let's make sure we're all on the same page here. You know, no space marines in our fantasy. And, you know, it's like, what do you guys want to see? And, and maybe there's paperwork with it. And maybe there isn't. I like doing an informal group template, and it might just be casual conversation. But what I did here is I gave them a a framework. I said, okay, we are playing this fantasy game. The sort of start of this is there's a king, and this is a kingdom, and the king has his trusted ministers advising, you know, the general, his captain of the guard, his seneschal, his, you know, the games warden is whatever. And all of those ministers, his court of nobles, are your parents. We're playing a first-level game. You're very young. I said the age range can be from 16 to 25. And we also had to define, like, someone's playing an elf. Well, does that mean I'm a 25-year-old elf? It's like you're still in diapers at that point. <laughs> but it is the relative age of 16 to 25. And you have not proven yourself yet. And what I did is, and I, and I left, that is all I defined. This is the only thing I defined. 
And what I did is like, when it's time to make characters, I said, okay, we're not making your characters right now. We are making the character of the king. I have no input on this. You guys decide. Here's a character, blank character sheet. All of them took turns rolling up stats. Uh, they all picked his race. They all picked his character class. They picked out his equipment. They picked out what he is. They made him a gnomish bard. And he was a king, but it's not a gnomish kingdom, right? Mm. And so I'm like, okay, a gnomish bard is the king. How did that happen? And I got them tied, kept asking them questions about, yo, that sort of thing. And they came up with this story that was like their parents were D&D adventurers, you know, murder hobos, but, you know, adventurers doing good and smiting evil. And in this land that they're at now, in the past, this horrible evil force, undefined force, controlled everything. Sort of Dr. Doom style Latvia, pressing people and experimenting on doing horrible things. Their parents rolled in and was crushing the evil like good adventurers do. And they were like high level and all this sort of stuff. And while they were doing it, they kind of got this idea of, you know... I think it's time to maybe settle down. I kind of have some kids. Don't want to be covered in the blood and the muck. And I kind of want to be, you know, rich and live in a castle and not have to do all this crap anymore. And everyone's like, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. And so they, it wasn't just like, okay, we're deciding to do this in one night. You know, it's this, they're trying to crush the evil that is oppressing these people. And so they discovered while they're doing this, a legend, a legend of, you know, a brave knight will come and will crush the, the evil wizard and free the people and he will become king. And it was a BS legend. It was just a non-magical, non-divine hope of an oppressed people that was never real and was never going to happen. So what they did, what their parents did, is they made that a reality. This gnome who was a bard had all these, you know, illusion spells and all this stuff, this magic. And he impersonated this legendary knight who is a human to come in and then they defeat the wizard. And then the, the knight took credit for it and stepped into legend and then took over. And then they made all, you know, his friends, nobles within his court, and they took over the land. And over the course of 25 years, they had kids and they brought the land back to prosperity and peace and happiness and such. And now you enter where the kids are. So to me, that was the group template. They created this world. They created this framework. They populated it with characters. And in doing so, they inserted their place within the world. Because after we made the king, and I asked all the questions of why is the king like this, I had them make their, their parents. Now, I did not have them roll up their parents because, you know, I didn't want to be their all night rolling characters that they're right. going to play. I had them start defining their characters and their story. Like, being a king, it's a lot of pressure. It requires a lot of charisma. You have to be fairly energetic to even want to do mm -hmm. it. And if these are people where the at least the human part of the right. party is entering the sunset of their life, I think gnomes do outlive humans. Yes. And so this gnome may still have quite a few years left mm -hmm. in him. And so maybe this all sounds good to him. And for anyone who's not familiar with the... Legend of the Sword of Damocles. Mm -hmm. The Sword of Damocles, the story of it goes that there was one guy who's basically like, well, I see the king. He's got all this power and all this wealth and whatever. I would really like to be the king. So the king, to make a point, says, okay, I will let you be the king of this kingdom for, I don't remember, for some amount of time or until you can't take it anymore. Right. Well, what it was. I don't remember the story. Brewster's Millions. Bruce, yeah. <laughs> and what he did was he then took a sword mm -hmm. 
and tied it by a single thread over the throne. That's not safe. Such that that was the point. <laughs> that's, that's an OSHA violation. That's not OSHA. <laughs> Such that it was dangling over this guy's head. Mm-hmm. And so while this guy was sitting there on the throne, at any Without given any moment, PPE, so. <laughs> at any way, yeah, I didn't even have closed-toed shoes. <laughs> at any given moment, that thread could have snapped, or right. that sword would have gone into his head. And that's where we get phrases like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a sword dangling over my head and things right. like that. And it's it's the whole story is called the Sword of Damocles. It's not always good to be in power. Right. Because when you're on top, that's what everybody's gunning for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so maybe this gnome has the charisma to do it, has enough naivete to actually right. want to do it, has enough charm spells to feel like he can get his way out of some situations. Mm-hmm. It actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Even and, if he's not vaguely qualified. Right. And he isn't really because they, I had them define his character too. Instead of, okay, he's a bard, he's a gnome, blah, 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 blah. You know, what's he like? What's his personality like? And the dude's a philanderer. I mean, he's in it for the women's <laughs> and you know, it's just like he can pull in all this tale, but he pulls it in as a gnome. He can't do it as, the king and so what this allowed me to do was i did not know how serious dark comical adventurous they wanted the game to be i didn't know what the tone that the group wanted it to be so in creating this character this gnome they set that tone now on the surface it sounds like it could be a really ridiculous you know absurdist silly game and i and i was sitting there thinking did I just make a huge mistake? Are they? Are, are we doing comedy D and D? But and I was going to roll with it, but then they started making their parents, and their parents have conflict, interpersonal relationships. There's two characters who one is glass cannon mage. You know, like okay, it's Wayne. Wayne rolled absolute garbage on his stats <laughs> and so he's like a, almost an invalid his constitution strength is so low and so he made his parents be the generals of the army the military types they named him maximilian because he is going to be a strong warrior he ain't a strong warrior and so he the only thing he can do is the book learning and he is such a disappointment to his parents and his parents just totally disregard him on the other hand Beth's character is a sorceress, the the one where the magic just kind of happens yeah, around the natural. Right. Yeah. Her parents are the court mages, the book-learning scholars who hate the fact that she doesn't have to study or do... It's not scientific for her. It's this hedge mage bullshit that, that is totally antithetical to their entire beliefs, which Wayne's character is all about. So his parents hate him. Her parents love him <laughs> her parents hate her we chose backgrounds because in D D you have actual backgrounds and you can be like a pirate or a sailor you could be a con man you can be a noble well everybody chose noble because it, it fit except for beth beth chose urchin street urchin she's still a noble she slums it in rebellion to her parents <laughs> it put a this sort of level of there's some whimsy to the game but there's this undercurrent of darkness. And I never looked at my players and I said, okay, this is the tone I want. This is where it needs to be. They set that gauge for me when they made these important shaping characters. And it was a really good sort of soft group template. 
an, an informal group template yeah. instead of the, you know, Eric, how would you like the tone of Sog to be? Right. And I, and you're like, I want to be the blackest of black. <laughs> if I don't lose three characters, I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah. And that is the group template. Yeah. Right. So what yeah. we've been doing is of glass is I've been throwing a group questionnaire on top of the group template to sort of query the yeah. players. And I felt, the need to do that. I don't think I would actually do it in most games. The reason I felt the need to do it is because there was too many people I was gaming with for the first time. Well, I and, think it was a really good idea. I, I think having the questions, I call it the paperwork, yeah. the bureaucracy of the group template. I've always chafed against, but it's always a good idea because you know, and they know in asking, they know in them telling you, you know, it's all on the table. Yeah. The way I did it, I think it worked out really well, but I'll remind everybody where they made a gnomish bard an imposter king. Right. And I'm sitting there like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a clown. This is going to, I don't want to run it, but they turned it around without prompting me. And it worked. When you were explaining this game to me, because I I think you first told me about it, not this week, but last week, I, I mentioned that it actually reminded me of an epoch of Rysos, a science mm-hmm. fiction game, homebrew, that I ran for a group pre-Fear of the Boot. This was right. many, many years ago. And when they were making their characters, and even if we didn't have the formalized group template, this is a concept that's been in our group mm-hmm. for even longer than that. So, I mean, we've had that idea. And when they were making their characters, everybody was just doing the weirdest <laughs> stuff. Because within that setting... I think I have about 22 or 23 species. And some of them are intended to be vaguely humanoid and and understandable and playable. And then many of the species are not. They are intended to be alien aliens. These are not. The concept of them is alien and hard to wrap. Yeah. And when they were making their characters, we had one human and everybody else was playing just this Benetton ad of aliens mm-hmm. i mean just like one of everything right i mean not all 22 or 23 like <laughs> four or five players but the point is that they were just all over the board and these were species of radically different physical traits many of them did not get along with each other maybe even were at open war at that time you know whatever and i'm like okay this is a total freak show group right how do you possibly reconcile this and so what they came up with was a really great idea that I think emphasizes a truth of the group template, which is the group template does not have to be about homogeny that comes from a particular attribute of the characters. Mm -hmm. What I mean is they don't have to be of the same social class or the same race or the same whatever. I mean, put anything in there you want that you can find something they have in common that still holds them together no matter how disparate they were. And what they came up with is actually very, very similar to how this game that you're running is playing now. What they came up with is there is a particular species that, for reasons that I'm I'm not going to bore the audience with, is uniquely interested in trying to find diplomatic peace and cultural understanding within the galaxy. And it's not because of the peace and love aliens. They actually have their own agenda. But the point is that they're they're trying to do this. And they have set aside a system within their territory that they use as this is their Switzerland. This is where people go to have neutral discussions. 
and to have these cultural exchanges and whatever. And what these guys came up with was all of them were basically the brat kids or insert whatever noun is appropriate for the species of diplomats and cultural exchange agents and such that had been sent to this planet. And despite them, at least on paper, mm-hmm. having nothing in common and should have been in a position where they hate each other, the only reality they knew was growing up in basically UN city mm-hmm. where they're all together and all getting along and they're all children of these diplomats and such. And so that gave them their commonality to them. They just didn't see those differences and they functioned at much more of a, a cultural center point mm-hmm. to each other. And out of that came at one point, they got bored with life there. They got bored with the diplomacy and wars they had never seen and conflict. They had no vested interest in because they weren't on their own home worlds to see the reports right. of people slaughtered on the frontier or whatever was going on. And so they just kind of set off to salvage their own spaceship and just go out and have a grand old adventure and mm-hmm. see what would happen, where life would take them. It was completely naive and ill-informed, and <laughs> but it represented, they, they still had this common innocence that they came from. And now there may not be that innocence in your game, or maybe there is. I don't know. But my point is yeah. that reminded me a lot of it in that you have not a first generation, Mm -hmm. but it's like you're seeing the second generation of a group template. It's like, this is what the group template resulted in. Right. It's very game of Thrones Mm -hmm. sounding where, you know, you're seeing the aftermath of all of this stuff. Uh, There's a few things that I really like what you're talking about. Fifth edition D and D I think is that middle ground where it's not too crunchy and it's not too story gamey. Cause I mean, people think, well, you could, you could open up with fate or something like that, but Unless your player is really... There's concepts in Fate that need to be explained. D&D is algebra. It's this plus this equals this to get this number. Right. You know, it, it's really... Yeah, even as an experienced gamer, the first time I played Fate... Yeah. I, it had to be explained to I, Yeah, I struggled with a bit. They're like, well, this is your high concept. I'm like, okay, I know what the phrase means, <laughs> but what, what exactly are you looking for? Yeah, and that could be super intimidating to a new gamer. Yeah. Because they're like, I, I don't know what to say here. I don't know what to plug in. Yeah. yeah. And I at least have some common ground because somebody could say to me, well, if it was Gnarl, you might put down Nolish Warrior Champion. Right. You know, or something like that. And, and so they were at least able to find common ground. But yeah, I don't know how I would explain that. I'm sure you can. Sure. But I, I, I personally, just off the top of my head, man, that wouldn't be an easy thing to break somebody into right. their first time out. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, the, uh, the way you did the conversation. And mm. first of all, you didn't set it in a set world. Because I've done it where it's like, okay, mm. I've ran... You know, I've ran adventures in a set world and I've ran adventures in my own homebrew world. Mm-hmm. And there's always that same problem where people don't know maybe as much as you do about it. And so yeah. then they're like, well, is there this in your world? Is there that? You completely open that up to them where mm-hmm. they become personally invested in the story themselves. Right. Right. And I really like that a lot because it's like they're not shackled by somebody else's ideas. They're mm-hmm. they're free to explore their own. The other thing that I like is the fact that this whole thing is predicated on a lie. Yes. I love that it is predicated on a yep. lie. And, you know, once that lie is exposed, it can be exposed by anybody. Yeah. Their you know? characters are in on the secret. 
their characters know. And I told them that it's like each of your parents, no matter what your relationship is with them, there is one golden and volatile rule. You can cuss at the dinner table. You can yell at your dad. You can do anything you want. They will punish you or spank you or do whatever it is they do. You cannot talk about the secret. You cannot reveal it. And that has been drilled into you since you were little and you were first exposed to it. But that actually leads into the next part, too. Because, Dan, you were talking about there's a, a sense of innocence there. Yeah. Because they're young. So how I'm telling the story is I am not using linear storytelling. I am telling the story out of order. And what I'm doing is I'm doing sort of short chapters because I, I want to do not grandiose, huge, long, like somebody goes into a bar and they're wearing this color hat and six months later, dun, 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 and there's this big, oh my God, that happened. In the the whole world's black and white except this one thing of clothing. Right, right. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, no, I, I don't want to do that because, again, we have a new player and... I want to do it more, I don't want to say I'm doing quest-based, but it is kind of I'm giving them things to do because they're, they're having to prove themselves. They have to prove themselves to their parents and that sort of thing. They're the next generation that's going to take over. So their parents want to kind of raise them up. And so now they're of an age where they can go and do stuff. So what I'm doing, how I'm telling the story is in these short chapters, like this one on Sunday, I opened it up with Dawn's character. She's playing a half-orc paladin. And there's a whole thing about her parents and stuff that is actually really cool. But she's playing a half-orc paladin. And I open the game up with, you're in the throne room, and it is on fire. The timbers holding the roof up are engulfed in flames. The tapestries are engulfed in flames. There's choking smoke. And in front of you is a 10-foot-tall being with a giant ram's head and fire in its eye sockets. It is slowly turning around to face you. And as it does, you see slumped over on the throne, this branch has raced out of this being and has speared Oz. And Oz is the name of the gnome who is the king. And the king's name is not Oz. And has speared Oz as a gnome right through his gut as he is slumped over the throne in a pool of blood. And it turns and looks at you. What do you do? That was the opening of the game. That's how the game started. So she she's like, is anybody else here? No. What do you do? And she's like, well, do I have a... What do you do? You're, you're doing stranger and, things to her. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? And she, she's like, I yell at it, like, who are you? And, and I say, it turns around and another branch just arcs out. This huge branch arcs out of its body. Tree branch. And slams you into the che- in the chest and sends you flying. And you hit the wall and your armor is bent and you fall down to your butt dazed. And you, you kind of like your head's kind of going. And then you open your eyes and you are in a garden. And your friends have actually managed to tackle you. And she's like, well, why did they tackle? What? You know, everybody's all confused. And I'm like, because you have the ball. And they want to get the ball from you because they need to score the goal. So I go on describing stuff. They're in the palace gardens and they are 10 years old. They're kids, they're children. And she's a half orc. So even though she's seven, she's the youngest. She's twice as big as they are. And it took two of them to tackle her. And the new person, she's playing an elf. So she's like a 
teenager, so to speak. And so she's supposed to be babysitting. She's like, oh, these children and their games and stuff. And they're kids. And then Oz peers over the bushes and is like, hey, hey, come here. In 25 years, I'm going to summon a demon. <laughs> it's going to be great. great. <laughs> It'll all work out. He calls them over and... They're by a bakery, and I'm describing the smells of baking goods, and then they say, oh, they're baking tarts. And it's just like, yeah, they're baking tarts. And, yeah, of course. Of course they are. Tony's there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so they're baking tarts and stuff, and Oz gives them a mission as children. He gives them a mission to steal the tarts. And they're like, okay, because they're all like real, but the players are really confused because I'm really f***ing with them, right? And so they don't ask the important question of that really ridiculous scene of them being kids. Why does the king need them to steal tarts from his bakery? Right. I kind of prompt them to do that. It's like, you know, that, that seems a little strange. And so they, they, they're like, Oz, why don't you just turn into the king? Why don't you just go in there and take, and he's like, because I can't because their tarts are for me. And they're like, what? I, yeah, they're for you. Go. It's like, no, I can't do it. You don't understand the tarts are going to be served at brunch to me on a plate. Yeah. And I have to eat it. Like, yeah. I want give God, oh, just get them. Just get them. And so they do this sort of elaborate plan to distract the baker who's a mean big matrony, you know, oh, I'm gonna get you kids, sort of thing. While Wayne's character sneaks in through the back, jumps over a window, is making a mess, making, you know, dodge rolls and stuff. I also said, on a side note to the story that is actually relevant to the story, I don't like how there's no racism in fantasy games. Everybody all gets along. There's the elf dwarf thing, but that's just played for laughs. And so I said, in D&D, they have common races, elf, dwarf, human. And then they have uncommon races like half or tiefling, that's wow. half elves and stuff. And it talks about how these are rare and people don't treat them well because they're they're not common. They're they're strange or scary or, or whatever. And I told them, I'm like, you can play anything you want in this player's handbook. But I will tell you right now, if you play something weird, you will be treated poorly because of it. So Dawn's playing a half orc character, right? And so their distraction is Beth's character, who these are children, Beth's character looks at Wayne's character and says, I'm sorry, and pushes him over and starts crying. Beth starts crying. So Wayne's character takes off. The matron baker comes out, looks at Dawn's character, who is standing there doing nothing, and says, what did you do to her? Right. <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute. And I'm like, yeah, that's a little bit of orc racism right there. And they're <laughs> like, what? And so they get all like super, super indignant about it. And then they like are really, really invested that someone treated their friend like a piece of shit and they would have none of it. Mm. This was in the first 15 minutes of gameplay. Nice. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> and to them, they were standing up to injustice. And to me, I'm like, this is the fastest group cohesion of new characters I've ever seen. And all I had to be was orc racist. <laughs> all I had to do was play out bright. <laughs> right. Right. Dawn's character is like, I start like, <laughs> and do the pouty lip thing. And I, I had to stop the game. I'm like, that is the most adorable thing I've ever, 
imagine because you're this little orc girl in a sunny flowery dress doing the pouty lip, except you have two giant tusks coming out. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, yeah, it's not adorable. This is like, you look worse. Right. (laughs) To quote therapy, which is a band, I look uglier when I cry. Right. (laughs) And that's kind of... (laughs) But her friends stood up to the adult for her. And it was great. So Wayne's character goes in the bakery and he obtains the tarts for Oz. Sneaks them out and there's hilarity ensues and that sort of thing. Gets back to Oz and gives it to him. Oz looks at them and he's like, oh, thank you. And he has a box of flowers and he takes some of the flowers out and then he puts the tarts in there and he closes the box and he says, thank you. They didn't catch on of why he did that. Because remember, Oz is a philanderer. He's got a chubby girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) So that's who the tarts were for. He couldn't get served the tarts because he'd have to eat them. So did you skip time from there? Did you? Well, okay. so here's the thing. I had Oz look at them, and and he stopped, and Oz was like, you guys are pretty special, you know that? You guys are going to share a secret with me. You, and he he takes, as he takes the flowers out, which he was just playing on throwing them on the ground, he hands each of them a flower, and he goes, you are my knights. You are my order of the flower, and it's a secret. Tell no one, and you report directly to me. Fast forward to the present. It's the day. It's the day when they finally get to go out and do this mission, where they have to deliver this money to a like and i'm not talking tens of thousands of dollars. it's like a small chest of coins to a guard outpost that's two weeks away that no escort or anything like that and it, it's a milk run but it's their parents giving them some responsibility and giving them some leash i say but when you wake up there's an envelope by your bedstand with an embossed flower on it it's oz's orders it's the real mission which is actually usually oz like delivering love notes or something to his many girlfriends <laughs> but It made the characters care about Oz. It made Oz a sort of crazy uncle to them. And it created, in a course of 30 minutes, it created this this history that they had, right? And so what I'm doing with this, though, is that I'm not doing this every game, but I'm doing these sort of mini chapters, right? So at the start of every chapter, we are going to start with that fight, with the horrible thing, with no context that is in the future, that has apparently killed Oz. And I'm going to rotate through the characters as each of them come upon it. Dawn's character just happened to be first. I am then going to roll back to their childhood and have them go on some childhood adventure, which will then have a clue in it to defeating the monster, which will then go to the present day, which will tell the story of how the monster got there. Hmm. It's interesting because as you were explaining all this, I was trying to mentally dissect how this works, like mm-hmm. what, what exactly is going on here and how would I explain to the people that are listening if they want to tell this type of story, how to do it. And here's what I see: what you have started with, at least I know this is not your intention where this ends, but what you have right now is non sequitur. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, there's no context. To right, any of it. Right. And to, for anyone who's not familiar with the, the phrase or the word non sequitur, it's, I think, Latin for no sequence. Mm-hmm. So it means that one thing has nothing to do with the other. There's a scene that occurs well, in 25 years or whatever it is in right. the future. And then there are scenes that occur back when they are children. Mm-hmm. The only relationship between those two scenes at the moment it occurs is purely imagined. It's a magic trick. Mm-hmm. A magic trick done by the GM on the players. You've convinced them 
or given them a sense that something is true that in fact may not be true. They kept asking me if it was a dream. I refused to answer. Yeah, well, precisely. Yeah, they're looking for how do these things, what is the sequence? How do these things connect when they maybe do, they maybe don't? But what happens is as this develops and as they fill in the blanks with their own imagination and their own ideas, it not only fleshes out your world and your story, their world, their story, but what it also does is it starts establishing truths Mm-hmm. about the future. I mean, at the end of that game, you could have even cut back as the very last scene, very last two sentences of the game or whatever to Dawn and said, you're back in the throne room. Mm-hmm. You look down and on your dented armor, you see that the engraved flower right. has been scratched through or mm-hmm. something like that. Ooh, that's a good one. And, and so <laughs> I'm you stealing but, that. But boys, you could have, <laughs> gone back to that right and suddenly now sequence gets created so what was effectively a series of just random pictures and you know we've talked about rory story cubes which do something like Mm -hmm. this but i remember even back when i was in kindergarten we had this exercise where our kindergarten teacher would give us these pictures and ask us to put them in order and to explain the story that connected them. Mm -hmm. It's been obviously a very long time, so I don't remember this in great detail, but sometimes there was clear order between them. Sometimes there wasn't. And in Rory story cubes, if firm is not familiar with them, they have these dice with little pictograms and you roll it and suddenly you get a thermometer and a dude catching a football and the sun and a virus and and it's you know it's Mm. what what do these have in common what story does this tell and you can connect them in your own way but what happens is now when you go back to do the next person you now have a little bit more truth to the world there's this order of the flower or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you know this is now a truth they have stolen tarts for oz which by the way is a Great, (laughs) good pop culture reference there for the fake king. But you have this, and when you do the next one, let's say it's Wayne you do next, Mm -hmm. you're going to establish more truth and do that until you reach the final bit of the table where now, Mad Libs style, you have filled in Mm -hmm. a story that basically wrote itself because of the fact that you didn't start off having said, okay, this is what the truth is. And now somehow I have to get everybody there. Right. That's an impossible task. (laughs) You instead started off with this very, very detached scene, a powerful scene, Mm -hmm. but an isolated scene. Skip back to something unrelated and now let them over time start to define how the two are related. It's basically painting the middle. Mm -hmm. And so that's an interesting way of approaching things. And it goes... Not against, but it goes in a different grain than my what's really going on document. Right. Because my what's really going on document, where I lay out all the complexities in politics, it describes a starting point for mm-hmm. the world. It doesn't describe an end point for the world. Yeah. Now, there may be intentions for an end point in terms of if the player characters do nothing, this is what will occur. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't start with an end point that I have heavily defined. Because I will tell you right now, it is incredibly hard to do something like that. And if this is something you want to recreate in your games, that's my advice is let your flashbacks be as out of sequence as they can possibly be. And I think even all the way up to the end, 
when you're at the final player, whoever that is, I would still have a several year gap or something mm-hmm. between their story. I mean, unless it's just filling in beautifully to the yeah. point you don't need to, I would be prepared to have a couple years gap there for you to kind of round off <laughs> any rough edges yeah. before this all has to come together. So, all right, cool. Thanks for we wrap this one up. Check the show notes for links to Fear the Con 11. I'm looking forward to hear how this game plays out. <laughs> so am I. Yeah, it's, this is interesting. Um, and if I was in there, even though it's not in player handbook, I'd totally play a Waymick. And accept my Waymick racism with my right. pouty lips and everything. Mm-hmm. Your and fangs. My, yeah, my pouty lips. get the droopy ears. I would droop oh, yeah. my ears and hang my tail, <laughs> be a bad little lion, and... Cross my front paws. You disgust me. I, Ways I can I even begin to communicate. If, if anyone is listening to this right now and does not think less of me, <laughs> I think less of you. So thank you for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. Yeah, bye. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.